0: EM Board Bombs Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussain and Blake Briggs Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we help you study for boards but in reality, we help you study for hashtag EM life one rapid podcast episode at a time. I'm Blake Briggs, and I am not joined today by Dr. Hussein. We'll talk about where he is in a minute. You're going to find it interesting. For each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, at EMBoardBombs and as usual, we would like to plug our premium podcast EM Rapid Bombs. If you enjoy EM Board Bombs but want a TikTok version of our podcast, that's what our Rapid Bombs podcast is. We prepare you for boards and clinical practice. Don't waste your time just studying for boards. Do both at the same time. We have over 220 podcast episodes, as I last checked, on EM Rapid Bombs. Each episode is just Two to four minutes where we drop high-yield bombs in question-answer format get seared into your memory. You'll never forget it. On average, we drop three to four episodes a week, so you get new podcasts delivered to you almost daily. You can sign up for our tight trade-up plan, otherwise known as our free trial plans for 24 hours, and you can check out if EM Rabbit Bombs is right for you. Don't waste your time studying just for the test with traditional question banks. Optimize your time. Listen to our board bomb pearls that will help you with the test, but more importantly, with clinical practice. You can sign up for EM Rapid Bombs at emrapidbombs.supercast.com and look at the show notes of this podcast as well for a direct link. You can also find the link on EM Board Bombs, our main website, as well. All righty then. So Dr. Hussein will not be joining us today, as I hinted at earlier. He's actually opening up his own IV hydration clinic and working on the IV menu right now. Don't worry, he's offering B12 injections. I know you all are worried about that. So that'll distract from patients coming to the ER, your local ER. They can go to see Dr. Hussein at the IV hydration clinic. We got some cool cocktail names coming to you live next episode. We also take requests. So if you have any, feel free to email us or Drop in an Apple review. If you have Apple podcasts, please drop an Apple review. And name an IV hydration menu if you want. Uh, a, a cocktail IV. We love to let those simmer a while. <laughs> so, we have a 47-year-old female with a history of chronic neuropathy and daily headaches. She's presenting to your ER. After her EMS reports, she ingested an entire bottle of her home medication after an argument with her husband. The patient is now tachycardic in the 130s and a serial bedside ECG reveals widening of the QRS. Which of the following is the best next step? Choice A, IV sodium bicarbonate. Choice B, hemodialysis. Choice C, IV naloxone. Choice D, IV lorazepam. answer here is going to be choice A, IV sodium bicarbonate. So I didn't really explicitly state what was going on here, but hopefully many of you caught on. This is a tox presentation with widening of the QRS. You should always think TCAs first. Tricyclic antidepressants, TCAs, have a long history in the management of psychiatric disease, especially depression. Since the arrival of SSRIs and other related medications, TCAs are relegated to the backseat. In fact, I'm sure many of us never see people on TCAs anymore for depression. Currently, TCAs have been relegated to the treatment of migraines, chronic pain syndromes, insomnia, and other obscure, various neuropathic MSK somatic disorders. TCA poisoning, while very uncommon, remains a life-threatening issue, and it's one of those classic, frequently tested topics on exams. You just have to know it. They start testing this in med school and if you're an emergency physician you have to know it like the back of your hand you just need to know this it's bread and butter so tca overdoses yes they're rare and yes the classic stem is a young female or male with a depression history but i know that everyone's expecting that now and in real life that is very rare given that the average person is not on tcas for depression anymore more commonly TCAs are utilized for various MSK and neurologic complaints like fibromyalgia or headache conditions like we mentioned earlier. And so I really wanted to make sure that the stem I picked today reflects that. It reflects more commonly a modern version of a TCA overdose rather than what you're going to read about or used to seeing in old textbooks. That really doesn't happen anymore. So TCAs are rapidly absorbed in the GI tract and they quickly enter systemic circulation in a few hours. This is really important because they're also highly lipophilic and highly bound in the plasma and therefore they have a large volume of distribution. The scariest of TCA overdose complications is cardiac related. TCAs cause conduction disruption which sounds like conjunction junction was your function. <laughs> <It's just laughs> the inhibition of <laughs> the inhibition of sodium fast channels decreases conduction velocity, and it increases repolarization and prolongs refractory periods. Wow. If you were listening to that, you're like, whoa, okay, let's slow down, Dr. Briggs. That's a little too much. I'm listening to this over the weekend, and I'm just, you know, I really don't want to get into the whole curve thing about depolarization of the heart again. Okay, well, let's just keep this simple here. This pattern is extremely similar to class 1A (laughs) antiarrhythmics. And then you're thinking, okay, that was also in my first aid step one book. (laughs) So it's just like quinidine or quinidine, if you're from Canada, and procainamide. So keep that in mind. It's a inhibitor of the sodium fast channel. So it's a sodium channel blocker. This is really important. It'll come up later because it really mimics certain EKG changes that are just classic. And it looks like an acquired Brugada-like pattern. So TCA overdose patients classically present with ultramental status remember that the drug is highly lipophilic remember that so specifically patients will be sedated and the symptoms will usually appear on 30 minutes to 2 hours post ingestion remember it's rapidly absorbed so if no symptoms are apparent after 6 hours then a toxic ingestion is highly unlikely in those who are symptomatic you want to expect signs of anticholinergic toxicity given that TCAs inhibit muscarinic receptors Therefore, you're going to get the classic, you know, hot as a hair, hyperthermia, dry as a bone, mad as a hatter, dilated pupils, etc. They could be hypotensive as well due to the inhibition of alpha-1 receptors and cardiac channels, resulting in vasodilation and decreased contractility. The course of TCA toxicity can be very unpredictable, with patients presenting initially after ingestion with no symptoms, only to rapidly deteriorate and crash. The three major systems affected by TCAs with the resulting symptoms are summarized here. So we just hinted at a bunch of stuff, right? I mentioned the sodium channel blockade. Probably the most critical here because it has to link with the antidote we're going to give later. And then, of course, you get the anticholinergic stuff. And then you have that neurologic picture due to the lipophilic nature of the drug. So let's quickly review all these again. Anticholinergic toxicity. Again, hyperthermia, flushing, dilated pupils. Patients may have urinary retention as well. Cardiovascular toxicity. Well, we mentioned this sinus tachycardia. Progression to hypotension, more cardiac conduction abnormalities. You're going to have a wide complex tachycardia. You know, ventricular tachycardia and ventricular fibrillation can occur in about 4% of TCA overdose cases. Well, that's 4% too many. This is a frightening overdose picture. And then finally, neurologic toxicity changes in mental status usually somnolence are very common. You could have delirium due to anticholinergic toxicity as well. Seizures are a hallmark of an overdose with TCAs and are usually associated with worsening cardiac decline. So, let's talk diagnosis here. So, clinical evaluation including the history and physical combined with the classic EKG findings nail the diagnosis. As usual, you know, I'm not going to get into this because it's not the point of this particular podcast, but you want to do a good general toxicologic workup in the ED, which includes, you know, asking EMS or family members about other home medications or co-ingestions, as well as other prescription medications found in the household. And more details on this can be found in pretty much every tox handout we do on the website. Of course, here's where the EKG comes into play. The EKG should be immediately obtained and performed hourly for several hours of observation until you start seeing changes. Look for any evidence of prolonged QRS that's greater than 100 milliseconds or any abnormal QRS morphology, like deep, wide S-waves in any anterior lead or lead 1 or AVL, right bundle branch block pattern, or in general any signs of a Brugada-like pattern. The most important EKG finding is that QRS duration greater than 100 milliseconds. The increasing length of the QRS greater than 100 Is highly associated with the risk of seizures and ventricular arrhythmias when the QRS duration is greater than 160. Let's repeat that one more time. Increasing length of the QRS is associated with a higher risk of seizures and ventricular arrhythmias. This is bad stuff, bad juju. You don't want the QRS to get any longer than 100 milliseconds. That should be ringing alarm bells in your head. So, what about qualitative urine measurements of TCAs? So, we're not going to order urine drug screens here. Uh, They don't test drug levels. So, there are urine drug tests out there that could test TCAs. They exist. They're not going to help you. (laughs) All these tests do. uh, I'm going to get off my soapbox here because I just, I really hate urine drug screens. Um, And if my residents are listening, or students, they just know that I'm about to get on my soapbox. So... I'm not even on it. I'm just going to preach next to the soapbox. So they don't test drug levels; they only indicate use, not overdose, and they are not available in the emergency time frame to significantly help patients. All right. A variety of different tox presentations could present in a similar fashion, and you can check out the rapid review handout of this subject on our website for a more in-depth analysis. However, just to keep it really short and sweet here. TCAs are unique in that no other drug on earth, as far as we know, causes such a constellation of overdose pathology, hypotension, arrhythmias, sedation, seizures. Wow, that's a lot of crap. So <laughs> there's so much destructive power from TCAs that uh, it's just, this is what it is. When you see EKG changes and you see anti changes or CNS changes, I mean, this is what it is. It's a TCA. So let's talk management. Starting with decontamination. So I understand this is not commonly used in clinical practice. It is difficult to establish an accurate time of ingestion, and patient cooperation may be an issue. And of course, there is concern for airway protection. So if the patient presents in about two hours of ingestion or so, you can give one gram per kilogram of activated charcoal up to 50 grams total. Remember, intubation should never be performed for the sole purpose of giving charcoal. Let's move on. I don't want to talk much more about decontamination. Let's talk about management. So it always starts with ABCs. Many of these patients require intubation early on, so be very cautious in those with arrhythmias and those who are hypotensive, don't just rush to intubate. You know, I will say that the majority of the time your TOX patients are the ones you should always be cautious about how you intubate and when to intubate. Yes, they're critically ill. Yes, many of them need intubation. But it's just like we talked about on the Rapid Bombs podcast recently, and previously we've talked about on the main podcast of salicylate overdoses. You know, laryngoscopy is a murder weapon, as Scott Weingart correctly coined many years ago, that laryngoscopy can kill patients if you're not careful. If the patient's hypotensive, or if the patient's in an arrhythmia, or if the patient has a metabolic acidosis, be very cautious in who you intubate. As with most tox presentations, you want to address the blood pressure and any potential arrhythmias prior to intubation, if possible. This definitely applies to TCA's. As with most tox presentations, IV fluids for hypotension, like we like LR, and IV benzodiazepines for seizures are great choices. They're always the right answer on test, too. What about the saga with Uh I won't make the mistake I did last time about posting about this on Twitter. <laughs> um... So the big thing here is that physostigmine. It's interesting because I posted about it and about a million toxicologists who I never knew existed came out of the woodwork and they had many things to say about physostigmine. So physostigmine is interesting because it has gotten a really bad reputation with minimal evidence. There is very very weak evidence that it is associated with cardiac arrest in TCA overdose. This was based on some case reports, or maybe just one case report. The evidence is so weak, it's not even worth talking about. On the boards, of course, you never give it. In real life, physostigmine is making a comeback, really, for treating anticholinergic overdoses, and it is very helpful in those types of patients with a true, one-of-a-kind, pure anticholinergic overdose. But it's not the antidote for TCA overdose. Sodium bicarbonate is. So let's talk about that more. And let's not even worry about physostigmine because the most important factor here is sodium bicarbonate. So sodium bicarbonate is a standard of care. It's absolutely indicated in those with a QRS greater than 100 on EKG. The way it works here, it's different than how it works with an aspirin overdose. Remember that when you give sodium bicarbonate for a salicylate overdose, you're helping excrete salicylate. The whole point of giving sodium bicarbonate in a TCA overdose is increasing serum pH and increasing the extracellular sodium, which likely restores the peace during phase zero depolarization. Both make the TCA less available to bind to sodium channels. The dose is 150 milliliters of 8.4% sodium bicarbonate. That's 50 milliliters each syringe, given as a rapid push. So it's going to be 3 amps total, or 3 syringes total. If there is no response in five minutes, you want to give a second dose of 150 milliliters, so three more amps of sodium bicarbonate. Serial EKG should be performed to evaluate for QRS lengthening and improvement, and you'll see improvement after you're giving sodium bicarbonate if you know it's working. A maintenance drip should be started after these boluses, and typically 150 equivalents of sodium bicarbonate in one liter D5Ws infused at 250 milliliters an hour in adults, that's typically the appropriate dose. Of course, while you give sodium bicarbonate, you need to watch for the side effects of prolonged sodium bicarbonate therapy, volume overload, hypernatremia, hypokalemia, and metabolic alkalosis. PH measurements should take place hourly until they're normal as well. So what about patients who don't respond to sodium bicarbonate? Well that's really unfortunate, because there's not many other options. (laughs) So lipid emulsion therapy has been used in a few cases, but there are no clear indications other than unstable patients who do not respond to standard therapies. Otherwise, you know, obviously you're going to consult with toxicology and pray to God that you have other backup help at your ED to assist with (laughs) managing this very sick patient if sodium bicarbonate doesn't work. There's no clear data supporting the use of cardiac pacing, ECMO, or plasma exchange, or even mechanical hemodynamic support. So you're kind of out of luck here. So obviously really communicate with the ICU team where obviously all these patients are going to go, as well as your friendly neighborhood dot psychologist who are always helpful to talk to. Just don't post about Pfizer on Twitter ever for the love of God. Okay, let's take it out. And that is another bomb delivered. Remember to find us on Twitter, our handles at bombs, as well as Instagram. Instagram just exploding recently. So much growth. It's crazy. And check us out on both of those. Drop on Apple Review if you can, and remember, check out EM Rapid Bombs. Again, you can go to the link in the show notes here, or go to emboardbombs.com and click on the link at the main website. That is all I got here. Um, hopefully, next time Ilta will be joining us, and we'll hear about the IV Fluid menu again. Take a look at our app or reviews or shoot us an email for any ideas you have for cool ivy infusion names it's been awesome as usual thank you good for joining us thanks for being a supporter